Hebrews 20.20, we see Jesus increment 229, 88 theses, and this will begin with thesis 45. We have traversed through the first 44 of our concentrated truths and proposals that we have come up with in our study of this work of particularly idiosyncratic genius on the part of an author who is unknown to us, but certainly inspired by the ultimate omnipresent, omniscient genius, God the Holy Spirit, Hebrews, the homily that we're studying now, and in which we are encamped. Now, we have said that, Lord willing, and I mean that, I don't mean that as a pious platitude, but Lord willing, we are intending to be here at our Alamo live and face-to-face on August 7th, Sunday, and to meet on Sundays for Sundays only through the month of August, 7, 14, 21, 28. And I always like to say, in a distortion of John Steinbeck's novel, Of Mice and Men, I like to say, the best laid plans of mice and me. Uh, Before the Lord, I'm a mouse, and my plans don't always pan out. But that's our plan for now, our intent, our desire. And so, up until then, you'll be receiving messages not only from me, but from Brian Messick, Pastor Messick. I hope you're following his Christ in the Passover series. It's remarkable, and it is totally centered in Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is the mark of authenticity for any message. And also, be staying tuned, because on the 2615th anniversary of Ezekiel's vision of the chariot throne on the Kebar Canal in Babylonia, Pastor Craig Brown, will be coming out of his temporary retirement, not really retirement, but he'll be coming out to teach on July 31st. Again, that's the 2,615th anniversary of Ezekiel's vision of the chariot throne, a very appropriate time for Pastor Brown, whom they love, incidentally, in Mississippi, And he'll be bringing a message. I'm very excited about that too. So, increment 229 is a continuation in our 88 theses. 88, the number of keys on a keyboard or a piano keyboard. And two-thirds of the gematria of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two-thirds. In other words, if it was 888, that would be the gematrial symbol for Jesus, and we have 88 theses. We have reached through thesis 44, and in fact, previewed thesis 45, which I will reiterate. And so, Father, we thank you for the truths that are concentrated in these particular proposals and propositions that you've allowed us to come up with, and we're actually surprised at them. But you have allowed these 
to come forth in our study of this heavenly homily called Hebrews. And we thank you for this opportunity, and I pray, Father, as I entrust my spirit to you, commit my soul to you, present my body to you, and offer you my heart to be taught of you, I do also present all those who might hear this message, who will hear it, that they will be profoundly influenced by your benevolence and beneficence in Christ Jesus, and the result will be the worship of the triune God. I ask this with thanksgiving and gratitude to you, Father, the God of all grace. Amen. Thesis 45, Melchizedek. And again, Melchizedek is spoken of in three areas of Scripture. One, in the law, meaning Genesis 14, 17 to 20. Second, in the Psalms, Psalm 110.4, Septuagint 109.4, and one more time, Hebrews chapter 7. Really starting at 5.6 and then all the way through 7.28 with a couple of references or allusions or obtuse type allusions afterwards. Melchizedek then was only presented in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is an idiosyncratic genius. He is compatible with the, all the authors of Scripture, and yet he has a unique gift for expressing both the sufferings of the humanity of Jesus Christ and his exalted divinity in a way that really nowhere else can be found. And he alone deals with Melchizedek in a comparison with Jesus Christ. So, Thesis 45, Melchizedek is presented to our mental vision only so that we can look away from him to Jesus. In fact, the whole aim of this series of teachings in Hebrews is to urge all of us to look away from everything and everyone else and all of the problems in the country, in the world, and in our families, and in our lives, and to look to Jesus and carefully contemplate him and attentively consider how his perseverance through unspeakable adversity and even the endurance of the cross led to exaltation and glory. Melchizedek wasn't written about so that the readers of Scripture would become obsessed with Melchizedek, as some have in history, but so that through the literary lens afforded by Melchizedek, readers would become occupied with Christ. Now, of course, by looking away from all things and all others to Christ, we're speaking of that which is called occupation with Christ. We are not speaking of the relinquishment of our responsibilities on this earth, of course. In fact, when we put our hopes in future world, we are not casting away certain hopes and expectations we have in this age, in our lives, and for our families, for our churches, for our nation, etc. Thesis 46. 
Incidentally, the reason that we pray and often ask many others to pray is given in the scripture in 2 Corinthians 1.11, where the more people pray, the more people are giving thanks for the answer to the prayer. That's also found as a theme that runs through 2 Corinthians 4.15. Doesn't mean you need a lot of people to get an answer to prayer. It does mean that when you ask others to pray, they too can be in on the thanksgiving for the answered prayers. Just thought I'd give you that principle of prayer, especially if you may be weary in praying, and that we should always pray and not faint. That's a little pastoral insert. Thesis 46. Jesus says to us, quote, The reason I'm crowned with glory and honor is because I suffered death, a death you will never experience, but one you have infinitely benefited by. Thesis 47. I'm not giving scriptural references, although I'm very tempted to do so, and I will cave to that temptation from time to time, but there are clusters of verses that can go with each of these theses or concentrated truths or propositions. Thesis 47, more fundamental than Christian life is Christian worship. And we can tell this from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice based on the mercies of God, because Christian life is based in Christian worship. If you're talking about Christian life, you have to first talk about Christian worship. Right worship is more important than even right living because right worship yields to right living. Right worship also includes gratitude, as we know from Hebrews 12:28. Told you I'd cave to that. Thesis 48, God the first mover has intended that a particular biblical document will have not only a local purpose, speaking to an immediate circumstance or situation, but also a purpose that will have profound impact on an audience remote in time and space from the original writer and the initial recipients. If I'm not making that clear in this audio version or video version, we will have this in PDF and in print for you. Almost every biblical document in the New Testament was addressed to a specific situation at the time. But the Holy Spirit intended its influence, its power, its impact, and its message to be for all times, including for us on the level of our time. The message doesn't change, but the message that never changes, changes us, brings us through conversions, which are elevations in our horizons. Thesis 49, at the center of history is the great crisis of the cross, or perhaps better, of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the sun, S-U-N, of history. 
and the rest of history, before and after, beneath and above, is its corona. Eventually, all the evils of the human race will be converted into a supreme good by the law of that cross. Thesis 50. Perfection, also known as completion, one of the primary, if not the primary, motif or theme in Hebrews. Perfection, which is God's proposed goal regarding the sanctification of his people, did come. Perfection did come, hallelujah, through the once and for all and forever sacrifice of his son. Thesis 51. To revert to the system represented by the Levitical priesthood, by which perfection could not be attained, would constitute at least an act of folly and at most an act of apostasy and a complete neglect of the great salvation that is embodied in Jesus, who is now crowned with the glory of the King of Kings and the honor of the great archpriest forever, in the superior order of Melchizedek. So there was a particular warning to the recipients, the initial recipients of the letter to the Hebrews, but there can be application to us in our time, of course. There's always a temptation to revert back to that which doesn't work and has been disowned or discredited by God. Thesis 52 The resurrection from the dead of Jesus our Lord is the end of death itself. And so in Christ all of humanity, even all of creation, will be made alive in the new creation of all things for eternal life. Thesis 53. In the appearing of the new man... Jesus Christ is also the disappearing of the old man. I'll say that again. In the appearing of the new man, Jesus Christ, is the disappearing of the old man, the first Adam, and all of ruined humanity in Adam. The last judgment, this is still thesis 53, sometimes it's a paragraph. The last judgment, enclosed in quotes, as men traditionally like to call it, will be the manifestation of the effect of the passion of Jesus Christ. It will be the final disappearing of the old man ruled by sin and of the passing away of the old world ruled by death and of the old serpent who used the fear of death to enslave the human race. It will be the universal appearing of the new man and the making new of all things. There are verses within this thesis that I'm not going to cite, but you'll see them. Thesis 54, the salvation that Jesus is 
and the salvation that Jesus brings is universally for all and uniquely tailored for each human being or to each human being. Each and every human being will be able to speak of how the salvation of our great God came to him or her in an absolutely individualistic way in a way that constitutes their personal salvation. Universal salvation is uniquely personal to each and every human being's case. I've been announcing recently my great desire to have Duran's last book Robert M. Duran's last book in the Trinity in History series, and I did receive that, and I always like, well, not always, but I sometimes like to go and read the last sentence of a book. Spoiler alert. And in his last volume, Redeeming History, the two last words in the last sentence of his book are universal salvation. He intended to deal with that, after he wrote this book. The Lord received him, however, on January 21st of 2021. And so we'll take up on that note, universal salvation. Last two words in the last volume of the last work of Robert M. Duran. Very interesting. Just thought of that. Thesis 55. We become our pure and unadulterated real selves by pure and unadulterated grace. The grace of God, who is the God of all grace, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We become our pure and unadulterated real selves by pure and unadulterated grace. The grace of the God of all grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thesis 56 No matter how evil and sinful the old man was, which is our old false self, he was made to disappear in the whole burnt offering of the Lamb of God. There's a lot there that can unfold, but I'm not going to unfold it. That's what a thesis is about. No matter how evil and sinful the old man was, he was made to disappear in the whole burnt offering of the Lamb of God. The scandal of the cross, this is just my comment on it, the scandal of the cross, the offense of the cross, is that the worst person you can think of in history was reconciled to God in Jesus Christ just as much as the most pious saint you can think of in history was reconciled to God in Christ Jesus and in his death, in his becoming sin. That's the scandal of the cross. That's the offense of the cross, as it's expressed today. Thesis 57, the hope offered by the previous commandment and the legislation governing the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices that they offer, especially, for example, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was the hope that the sins of ignorance of the people of Israel would be ritually purified for another year. In contrast with that, the hope, capital H-O-P-E, the hope 
that was introduced with Jesus is eternal salvation for all of humanity, made possible through his once and for all and forever self-sacrifice, which put away sin itself and was the propitiation for all sins, whether sins of ignorance or willful sins. Thesis 58. If ever the Christian faith and Christian hope is to survive in the future, during the course of this present evil age, it will have to offer the narrative of such a great salvation that can be described as the restoration of all things and the redemptive recapitulation of all things in the heavens and on earth, invisible and visible, in God's Christ. A salvation that has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ and has yet to be universally and fully revealed in what may properly and correctly be called an apocalypse. We all know the word apocalypse, and we all know how that word is distorted in our time. And we're going to, well, I think we've already taken a look at that word apocalypse in our study of John's apocalypse, the real apocalypse of Jesus Christ, and there are many other passages of scripture that would be classed as apocalypses, micro-apocalypses. And we will, by the grace of God, and again I say Lord willing, not pseudo-piously, but really Lord willing, we may be dealing with an apocalypse very soon and be face to face with one. Thesis 59. It's time again for a better hope. Hebrews was written, preached, spoken, communicated, sent, dispatched, and read in a time when a better hope was required than the one that was offered by the Levitical priesthood. It's time again for a better hope. Not that there's a better hope than the hope that is in Jesus Christ, the great archpriest but a better hope than that which has been held forth by the evangelical church and by traditional Christianity. Let me say that again. It's time again. This is Thesis 59. It's time again, now, for a better hope. Not that there's a better hope than the hope that is in Jesus, the great archpriest, but by a better hope I mean one that is better than that which has been held forth by the evangelical church and by traditional Christianity. Protestant, Catholic, charismatic, whatever brand of Christianity. There needs to be a better hope than, than we have held out to the world so far. Thesis 60. Paul rejoiced in other people preaching Christ. But he never rejoiced in the preaching by anyone of another Christ. That's a problem in our time. Another Christ is being preached. Other than the one who has universally saving significance. Other than the one who offered an infinite sacrifice of himself on the cross in order to transform all of humanity, all of creation, and to bring forth a new creation.
I'm just expanding on the thesis with that one. Thesis 61. Any and all true human greatness or goodness is the product of divine grace. Now, just to comment on that briefly, there's a lot of people that we say, he's a good man, he's a great man, she's a wonderful person, she's a wonderful woman. And oftentimes, we're calling someone good who isn't good at all and who is trying to be as God is and who has a certain kind of altruism that is equal to egotism. So we have to be careful how we judge on the negative side and on the positive side. As Jesus said, there is none good except God. And he meant, of course, then, no one who is intrinsically good. Now, we can say that a person is a good man or a righteous man. We can say that a woman is a good woman or a righteous woman. But we have to understand what that means, that it is a product of God's grace working in that person and producing a fruit of the Spirit called goodness, or graciousness, or patience, or humility. I think it's pretty, it can be almost a law to say, don't be impressed with anyone if they don't have humility. No matter what their accomplishments, no matter what their apparent greatness, no matter how they look or how they present themselves on a red carpet or anything else, I'm not impressed with anyone who lacks humility, whatever else they may have. Thesis 62, personal and national, even worldwide consequences of rejecting or neglecting such a great salvation are real. They are experienced within history and at the extreme bound of history in the day of evaluation. But they do not and cannot entail the loss of salvation, either universal or individual salvation. And for that I will cave to the temptation of giving a few verses. Hebrews 6, 9, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, 2 Timothy 2, 19. Along with 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, and 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, and Titus 2, 11, and Romans 11, 32, and a few other verses like Ephesians 1.10, Acts 3.21, and a few others. Thesis 63. This one's kind of practical. All of life is a valley of decision. That's a phrase taken from Joel 3.14. And of course, there was a wonderful novel about Pittsburgh written called The Valley of Decision by Marcia Davenport a classic novel, a wonderful novel. My wife Pam read it and recommended it to me, and I haven't read it yet, but I hope I will someday. All of life is a valley of decision and of preparation to meet our God, Amos 4.12. 
And every moment in this life is an opportunity to choose life. The spiritual life that is lived with God-given sincerity and purity, not by fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, especially that life. To choose life, and that means choosing life generally too. I could have much commentary on that right now. And it would contradict the witchcraft of our time, which is hysterical and in the atmosphere and generated by invisible hosts of demons. But I don't want to comment on that right now. So I'll say that thesis 63 again, very simply. All of life is a valley of decision and of preparation to meet our God. And every moment in this life is an opportunity to choose life, the spiritual life especially for us who are listening to this message, that is lived with God-given sincerity and purity, not by fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Thesis 64. The faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints... We lifted that phrase from Jude 1.3. The faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints in the New Testament, in toto, in its totality, in its sum and substance, we could say, is Jesus Christ in his universally deifying significance and the universally reconciling, rectifying redemptive and unifying-deifying impact of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This has to do with a theme that we dealt with a couple of times, theosis, T-H-E-O-S-I-S, one that is a patristic term and has to do with deification only in the sense of 2 Peter 1.4. So I'll repeat that. Thesis 64, the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints in the New Testament in toto is Jesus Christ in his universally deifying significance and the universally reconciling, rectifying, redemptive, and unifying, deifying, unifying, deifying impact of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thesis 65. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the Father's verdict. And I'm borrowing that term from Karl Barth in his volume four of Church Dogmatics. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the Father's verdict on the Son's judgment in which the Son of Man was willingly judged in our place. I'll say that one again because it's even more loaded than others. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the Father's verdict on the Son's judgment in which the Son of Man was willingly judged in our place. God is called the judge of all, and he entrusted all judgment to the Son of Man, and Jesus, the Son of Man, received our judgment in our place on the cross. Thesis 66, this is the last one for this increment, and we'll deal with 67 to 88 in our 
next increment, which is increment 230, which is the last message I'll be giving until we meet face to face, again, Lord willing, and if that is, in fact, God's intention. Thesis 66. This Christ, this Jesus, is just the kind of archpriest that we all need, because just as he's the judge who was judged in our place, so he is as well, the archpriest who is also the lamb offered and accepted by God the Father for us all. Pro nobis omnibus, for us all. And Father, I pray that once again that you will hammer these propositions of concentrated truth into our stream of consciousness. May they be like nails pounded by one shepherd into our hearts and minds so that we may live by these and live in the power of the Spirit in a life that is controlled and constrained and restrained and motivated by the love of Christ. And I ask this in his name. Amen.